Hello, this is Philip Schoenfeld, Editor-in-Chief of Evidence-Based GI, and today I'll be discussing two summaries in the September 2022 issue of Evidence-Based GI about the risk of complications for pregnant women and their children when different IBD treatments are used during pregnancy. First, I'll be discussing a summary conducted by my colleague Jessica Allegretti and her IBD fellow Rahul Dalal, which was entitled Continue Thiopurines and Anti-TNF Agents If Your IBD Patient Becomes Pregnant, Results from the Pregnancy in IBD and Neonatal Outcome Study, which is also known as the PIANO study. Why is this so important? Women with IBD are more likely to have pregnancy-related complications compared to women without IBD. In fact, up to 30% of their pregnancies may be impacted by an IBD flare and higher disease activity is associated with adverse pregnancy outcomes. There is conflict in European and U.S. guidelines. European guidelines suggest stopping biologics at 22 weeks of gestation, although retrospective data from France indicated that discontinuation of anti-TNF therapy before week 24 of pregnancy increased the risk of an IBD flare. In contrast, recent American guidelines recommended that thiopurines and anti-TNF agents should be continued throughout pregnancy, but this was based on low quality evidence. Therefore, additional prospective cohort data was sorely needed to demonstrate the safety of continuing thiopurines and biologics during pregnancy, as that practice would minimize the risk of disease flares and subsequent complications, while also reassuring women that these treatments would not harm their unborn children. The Pregnancy and IBD and Neonatal Outcomes Study, which is also known as the PIANO study, addressed this issue. This was the largest prospective cohort study uh, to be conducted to date. It examined over 1,700 pregnant women with IBD and provided an assessment of the safety of biologics and thiopurines during pregnancy as well as providing excellent demographic data and discussion of the changes in disease activity and how that impacts pregnancy. Specifically, in the study that Dr. Allegretti and Dr. Dalal summarized, which is from a March 2021 publication in Gastroenterology, the question that was asked is, are biologics, thiopurine, 
or combination therapy for inflammatory bowel disease during pregnancy associated with an increased risk of adverse maternal or adverse fetal outcomes. Now, again, this was a prospective multi-center observational cohort study of 30 centers in the U.S., a total of 1,712 pregnant women with IBD were enrolled between 2009 and 2019, and that ultimately represented almost 1,500 completed pregnancies, as well as almost 1,431 live births. Importantly, they also obtained uh, follow-up data on over a thousand of these infants out to one year, where they had data on developmental measurements for those infants. The study patients completed detailed questionnaires at study entry in each trimester, and then at four, nine, and 12 months after birth. And part of these questionnaires included addressing questions about IBD activity, as well as which medications they were on. In this case, specifically, women were divided into four exposure groups. Whether they were unexposed, meaning they had not used any thiopurines or biologics, but this group could include patients that used antibiotics, mesalamine, or steroids, patients who were only on thiopurines, patients who were only on biologics, and patients who were on combination therapy. Now, there were five primary outcomes, specifically the risk of spontaneous abortion, preterm birth, low birth weight, congenital malformations, and infant infections. Secondary outcomes assess the risk of stillbirth, intrauterine growth retardation, small for gestational age, placental abruption, eclampsia, preeclampsia, C-section, and the need to admit the infant to the neonatal intensive care unit. Data analysis was performed with a combination of bivariate analysis and adjusted multivariate analysis. Adjusted odds ratios were calculated from the multivariate logistic regression analysis after adjusting for appropriate confounders and Cox proportional hazard models were constructed to assess for predictors of spontaneous abortion within 20 weeks. The bottom line results are that higher IBD activity was associated with a much greater risk of spontaneous abortion with a hazard ratio of 3.41, as well as being associated with a higher rate of preterm birth was associated with an increased risk of infant infections with an odds ratio of 1.73. However, thiopurine use, biologic use, or combination use were not associated with an increased risk of any adverse maternal outcome or any adverse neonatal outcome. This was crucial information that reinforces the current American guidelines, which recommend that patients continue thiopurines and anti-TNF agents 
throughout their pregnancy. As with any study, there are some limitations here. The data about maternal and fetal outcomes were self-reported by mothers during their pregnancy and during the first 12 months of the infant's life. So there is some potential for bias there. Also, only a very small percentage, fewer than 10% of the patients were on the anti-integrin agents, that is, vetaluzumab or the anti-interleukin agents such as ustekinumab or the small molecule agents such as tefasanatinib. So it's still unclear if it's safe to use those agents, but certainly for the anti-TNF agents, meaning infliximab or remicade, and adalumumab or Humira, that was the biologic agent used by the majority of these women, and clearly safety was demonstrated there. So what does this mean for your practice? Doctors Allegretti and Dalal opined that the key thing is to educate your women with IBD to achieve endoscopic and symptomatic remission of their IBD prior to pregnancy, and to do that using anti-TNF agents and thiopurine pregnancies if needed, and to then continue those medications throughout their pregnancy because the big risk for adverse maternal and fetal outcomes is experiencing a flare of IBD during the pregnancy. In the future, we'll need better data about the safety of small molecule agents and other types of IBD agents, such as vetaluzumab. And it would be helpful to get even longer duration follow-up on developmental data for the infants of women who took these meds during their pregnancy. In a second summary, I, along with Aline Sharabati, Assistant Professor of Medicine at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine, reviewed a second recent publication from the Piano Registry. Specifically, this study was entitled Exposure to Corticosteroids in Pregnancy is Associated with Adverse Perinatal Outcomes Among Infants of Mothers with Inflammatory Bowel Disease. This was published in the September issue of GUT, and our summary was entitled Achieve IBD Remission Before Pregnancy, Piano Registry Data Shows Adverse Perinatal Outcomes for Infants Associated with IBD Flares and Steroid Use. This second publication from the Piano Study is important because in addition to IBD flares being associated with adverse maternal and fetal outcomes, steroid use for a variety of disorders has also been associated with adverse maternal and adverse fetal outcomes. However, there's very limited data about the risks of corticosteroid use during pregnancy in IBD patients. So again, the piano registry provides comprehensive data to estimate these risks. In this study, the participants in the piano registry recorded their corticosteroid use 
whether it was oral, enema, or IV routes of administration, and stratified the use based on four points in time, whether they used steroids preconception during the first trimester, second trimester, or third trimester. Similar statistical analysis was performed, and the key results were that corticosteroid use was associated with multiple adverse fetal outcomes, including preterm birth with an odds ratio of 1.79, low birth weight with an odds ratio of 1.76, and admission to the neonatal intensive care unit with an odds ratio of 1.54. Intrauterine growth retardation was also increased. And when corticosteroids were used late in the second and or third trimester, that was associated with an increased risk of serious infant infections at a rate of about 4% versus 2% in infants who did not get exposed to corticosteroids. Finally, orofacial clefts have been associated with steroid use in pregnancy, again, for women who required steroids for a variety of disorders, and orofacial clefts were more numerous among infants exposed to corticosteroids in utero at a rate of five to one. So the bottom line here again is that corticosteroid use during pregnancy was associated with an increased risk of multiple adverse neonatal outcomes, including preterm birth, low birth weight, and intrauterine growth retardation, and suggested that there may be an increased risk of orofacial clefts. Now, interpretation of this data needs to be cautious because it's difficult to separate the occurrence of IBD flares from corticosteroid use. Most likely, there is a risk for adverse maternal and neonatal outcomes that occurs with IBD flares and an additional risk for adverse maternal and neonatal outcomes that occurs with corticosteroid use. Certainly, when corticosteroids are used for a variety of indications in pregnant women who don't have IBD, we see similar adverse neonatal outcomes. So what's the bottom line to practice? Well, achieving corticosteroid-free remission prior to, to conception is the goal for IBD patients. Again, my colleague, Dr. Shara Bhatti, who co-authored this summary with me, just re-emphasize that our IBD patients of childbearing age should be educated about the importance of having corticosteroid-free remission prior to conception. That means both endoscopic as well as symptomatic remission, and that if this needs to be achieved with immunomodulators or anti-TNF agents, that that's acceptable and that those medications can be safely continued throughout the pregnancy, that experiencing an IBD flare or requiring the addition of steroids to manage an IBD flare are the risk factors that increase adverse neonatal and maternal outcomes. Ultimately, larger cohorts of steroid using pregnant IBD patients will be needed to precisely define the risk of oral facial clefts in their infants, but this is another additional concern 
that would lead women to want to minimize any risk for using steroids during pregnancy. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll be talking to you again soon.